Hello, welcome to another episode of Take Care Tuesday. I'm your host, Jeremy Foster, Officer of School Safety and Security for the Center of Safe Secure Schools at Harris County Department of Education. This Tuesday's episode is a continuation of Layers of School Security with Gary Sigrist, CEO of Safeguard Risk Solutions, which is an organization that serves the safety needs of schools across the nation. In episode one, we discussed three layers of safety, emergency management, planning, staff training, drills, and exercises. We will continue our conversation today of some more layers of school safety and security that contribute to making schools safer. We will discuss today hardware, software, and creating a positive school climate. So, so, th- so there's that layer that, you know, creating that, that um, your, your emergency operation plans and, you know, you, you're going to need to do as another layer, your security environment, your security and vulnerability assessment, your, your fire, you know, what are the threats and hazards that you see in your community? And you can't just say, um, you know, in Ohio, we, we've been on the news here for a while because we had a train derailment. Right. Well, um, how many of your communities have a train? Could that impact your community? What does your emergency management administration, both at your county level and your state level, say? Because, you know, I, I live in central Ohio. We don't worry about our nuclear power plants. But I've got a client in California that where they are, they have to worry about a nuclear power plant. So one has something in their EOP and the other doesn't. It's specific for that organization. That kind of goes to the specific emergency operation plans for the campuses too, because right. some campuses I notice are by like water treatment plants that right. can be treated with chloride gas, or they have like gas stations right next to them. Right. You know, so those are specific threats that are high risk for those specific campuses. Low, it, um, it would be a high impact. But, you know, you think about like how many communities like in, in, you know, here's Ohio and here's Franklin County and there's an outer belt that goes all the way around it. And if you have hazardous material, you can't go through Columbus. You have to use the outer belt. Right. Well, there's schools that are by the outer belt. Now, I don't remember the last time we had a hazmat situation because of a crash on the outer belt. But you better have that because if a gas is released. You know how to turn off your air handler unit so you're not sucking air into the building. So you have to have that plan there, but it just, it doesn't happen enough, you know. We actually had the center, when I was an emergency manager for the school district, I worked for, we had the center come out and they did our district audit report. And the auditor let me know that we actually had two campuses by a huge water treatment plant. And it was treated with chloride gas. I mean, the actual track was so close to that treatment plant. And uh, when I asked the principal if she knew where the hazmat shutoff switch was, she had no clue. So we had kind of like a little tabletop exercise just with her and her emergency response team. And it was just good for her to know that, just do that tabletop exercise. We called maintenance, found out that in one of the mechanical rooms, there was a switch, kind of like a light switch that she had to to shut off where some of the newer campuses, they have the big red button, like in the right. front of the office or in the front office. But that's something you need to know, especially if you you have a high-risk hazard in your vicinity. And it was just kind of exposed to that district audit report. 
doing just a simple risk assessment that they're doing. And, and can I throw out a shout out to the Texas State Safety Center? I mean, I I, I, I use them here in Ohio to look for resources. Yeah, they're I, actually I think, good for resources. We, I think anybody that deals with safety and security and education, they, they do a wonderful job of providing events, workshops, trainings. Mm -hmm. You know, we use them here a lot. Um, the actual entity, though, that uh, did my district audit report was the Center for Safe and Secure Schools. We try to, you know, collaborate with Texas School Safety Center as much as we can. And um, we, uh, they provide the, the questions on the district audit reports that we have to submit, school districts have to submit to the state, the Texas Education Agency. And that's required every three years out here in Texas. Right. So, um, so we got the layer one, which is the planning, and then the the layer two would be the staff training, getting met everybody on the same page, understanding the language of incident command, NIMS, National Incident Management Structure. And then the third layer would actually be the to do those exercises. Yep. Get the get those exercises in there so that and, and I want your I want your superintendents, I want your your audience to think like a risk manager because that's really what they are, okay? Um, you know, think about if something bad happens at your campus. We know there's gonna be a civil lawsuit, okay? Difference between a crime and a civil lawsuit, you know, crime that's guilty beyond the reasonable doubt, civil lawsuit is just the preponderance of the evidence. And if there's an incident at your school, there's a fire drill, and a student stubs their toe and gets hurt, and the parents sue, the, the lawyers are going to get together in a room, and the first three questions are going to ask. Question number one is, did you have a plan? And if you say, I don't have a plan, then the lawyers are going to say, well, here's what we're going to ask for for monetary damages, but I'm going to add some zeros to that. And then they're going to say, did you train your staff? Well, yes, we trained our staff. Or, or no, we didn't train our staff, so they're going to add more zeros. Did you do an exercise? But, you know, they're going to come in and they're going to say, did you have a plan? Well, yeah, here's our plan. Did you train your staff? Yes, here's our training schedule. Did you do exercises, including first responders? Yes, here they are. So what happens is, is that big amount that the lawyers are hoping for keeps getting smaller and smaller. And eventually insurance company will say, how much money will it take for you to go away? And the superintendent will never have to admit that anything they did wrong it was just a nuisance suit. So think about how do you keep your school district from being sued? And if they are sued, how do we limit the damages? So. Good point. So one of the questions that I had though that we kind of talked about is there's the layer four now. Okay. And that's the hardware, the software. And some of the, the you said one of the main components is is CPTED, which is crime prevention through environmental design. So right. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the hardware and software that you're talking about? Okay, so so let's talk about SEPTED, crime prevention through environmental design. You know, our, our four key components are natural surveillance, you know, territory, access control, and maintenance. So um, one of my clients just um, because they got grant funding put a huge fence around their, their perimeter. Which is great, um, because if you climb over that fence, you can't say, I didn't know I was trespassing. But, you know, you can also, on that territory thing, 
if you had a row of hedges, and even if that row of hedges was only this high, it marks this is our property. And so you want to be able to have that. You, you would like for your, your building administrators, your administrative assistants, even your teachers, while they're working, to be able to look out a window and see into the parking lot or see into the playground or see things that could be happening without having to use cameras. Now, you're always going to have to have cameras, but but by by having natural surveillance, you know, uh, we talk about uh, bushes should be trimmed down to three feet, branches should be trimmed up to six feet. So you have a good view of everything um, so that people can't hide in your bushes, you know, at night and, and try to get inside. And, you know, and then access control. This is this is really, I, I think so many schools do well with this. We, we've seen horrific failures, but um, we don't want people to be able to just come up and open the door. Um, and we, we saw that happen last year and that was a tragedy. And then, you know, your maintenance people constantly keeping up on things. When I was working down in San Antonio, um, the, the, the people that did the grass cutting um, one of their jobs is to, oh, if they saw something in the fence, is somebody cutting a hole in our fence to pass through here? Well, report that and let's get that fixed. So those are the four pieces of, of crime prevention through environmental design. And, and all of your listeners here can take online classes. There, there's so much training that you can do on SEPTED. And it's just kind of really nice to be able, when you're when you're doing a security and vulnerability assessment and say, you know, I, I think it's a child or an adult could easily get up into that tree, climb the branches, and then get onto the roof of our building. And we know that our roofs are our weakest spot because they can easily pry the hatch open. Well, by understanding SEPTED, you could prevent that. So other other hardware stuff, you know, your 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 door locking system. Um, I, I think it was the Texas School Safety Center that said, you know, you you increase your chances of survival in an active threat event simply by being behind a locked door. So we're not talking about putting in barricading devices. We're talking about just making sure your classroom door is locked. Um, you know, some of the software that's coming out now, I'm, I'm really, there's two kinds of, of uses for, for artificial intelligence. You know, some schools are using artificial intelligence in the evenings to keep an eye on areas where they don't want people. And so instead of paying somebody to, to watch a video from 11 o'clock at night till seven in the morning, you, you use software with your existing cameras. And if a car comes by, it alerts somebody and they can look at that car. Oh, it's a police car and he's just, or hey, there are people here and there shouldn't be people here so we can call police. Some of the, the AI stuff they're doing, they're saying, well, we'll be able to detect if a child has a gun. You know, that that kind of technology wouldn't have helped on Monday. That kind of technology wouldn't have happened helping Uvalde or St. Louis or Oxford. So you have to be real careful when you're looking at software solutions and hardware solutions to make sure that you're using proven technology that, um, you know, that you can afford for, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm looking for sustainable. So that if you have a grant to buy a certain software program for a certain safety thing, when the grant money runs out, are you able to continue using that product? 
Because if you're not, then you just said, well, I, I put for three years, I put this safety feature in, but now from, we're not going to have that safety feature anymore. So you got to kind of look at long term. Yeah, you know, um, so that's that's kind of hardware and software that I, I look at is, you know, there are solutions, you know, it's, I'll be honest, I sell a software for people to keep their safety clean. Um, so I'm, I'm not opposed to software. I mean, it's in my case, everyone needs to have safety plans and we don't want to have to print them. So that's kind of a win-win. But um, other, other of these softwares, and especially softwares that are, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's really just building a false sense of security. Right. You know, I, I like uh, hardware software. Do you, you guys have the buzzer systems in all your schools where uh, a person comes up to the front entry, the front entry's locked, they push a button, Picture. Some school districts have it, some don't. Some are, are actually going to start implementing that with some of the grant money that's coming through. I, I think those are phenomenal, but I'm going to tell you that I was once in five days, I was in six different school districts. And it wasn't until Friday that I walked up to a building and I hit the buzzer and they didn't just automatically buzz me in. I mean, I'd go to buildings that I'd never been before and I'd hit the buzzer and I'm dressed nice. You know, I'm carrying a clipboard, so I got to be important. And the administrative assistant didn't ask who I was, didn't ask why I was there. They immediately buzzed me in. And in, in the last building I went to, I hit the button and I, you know, said, uh, you know, good morning, XYZ Elementary School. How can I help you? And I said, my name is Gary Sigrist. I have a nine o'clock meeting with the principal, Mrs. Smith. And she said, stand by. And she quickly logged into the principal's calendar and saw my name on the principal's calendar for nine o'clock. And she said, come in now, sir. Now, she was not rude. She was not, I mean, the whole thing took maybe 10 seconds. But she knew who I was and why I was there. And, and so many times they're just letting people in. So then what good is that system? Absolutely, yeah. It just depends on the campus at the campus level. Some campuses are extremely diligent. Like you get confronted by the SRO or, or law enforcement before you even get into the building, you know. Well, and, and, and you know, we, we use the word challenge, and challenge doesn't have to be negative. You know, for example, when I pushed the button and she said, Good morning, welcome to XYZ, how may I help you? Right. She didn't what? You know, I mean, you've done this before. Have you ever called a school? And you and the secretary answers and she says like Norton Middle School, and that's it. And then you call other buildings and it's like, morning, Norton Middle School, how can I help you? I mean, that that's gonna tell you the culture of that school, that phone call right there. Yeah, there's a so a lot of districts tell the front office, you're the face of the school, you represent yes. us. Yeah. So, yeah, they definitely are. And I have a lot of experience with uh, front office staff because of all the access control. They have all the buttons and bells and things in the front office to let people in, to uh, the panic alarms for the police department. I was actually at a district uh, recently and they had some sort of, every time you exit into the vestibule where the front office is, it sets off an alarm that signals the police department. And I was just there for within about 10 minutes and students were coming up to the front office and setting the alarm off over and over again. And I was thinking about alarm fatigue, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it alert us. And I asked the lady, I said, does that 
does that alarm signal go to the police department? She goes, yes, it does. And I'm like, wow, so this must be going on. Anybody who has that system in place, you know, they're getting a lot of signals <laughs> in the police so department. So to me, that, that sounds like a bad system because you use the correct word, alarm fatigue. Right. You know, and, and, and I'll tell you, I, um, here's one of my worst stories. So I, I, I had to go to a building. Um, the building had the buzzer system. I pushed the button and I didn't hear anything. And the secretary was on the phone. So she's like this and she just goes like this, waves me in. So I come in, she hangs up the phone. And I said, is something wrong with the buzzer system? And she said, nah, I turned it off. It irritates me and the parents. So I went in and I talked to the building principal and I said, I, I don't understand why this buzzer system. He said, yeah, I've talked to her before. Maybe I should send her an email. And I said, no, maybe what you should do is talk to her and say, this can't happen again. So sadly, Uvalde happened a week later. And the principal called me and he said, Gary, I'm, I'm having a problem. Um, I was out on Friday. A parent came into the building and she started yelling at the, the secretary because she said, I was just able to walk into the school unchallenged. She said, I, I have a concealed carry permit. I have a gun in my car. And if I wanted to, I could just easily walk into the school with a gun. And then he said, Gary, is she allowed to have a gun in her car? And I said, you're asking me the wrong question. The question you should be asking me is, how do I fire my secretary who won't use a system that's in place designed to save children and staff members? Because that's the real issue here. Her, her gun in the car, she's legally allowed to have that. You shouldn't be able to just walk into a building. Absolutely. There's a saying that I always mention to people. It's like when vigilance goes down, risk goes up. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's secure is not convenient. What's convenient is not secure. Those are my you, can, you can have safety and you can have convenience, but you can't have them both. Right. You know. Even when I log into my uh, emails, I have to do extra access codes to get sent to my, my cell phone now. You know, it's inconvenient, but it's for yeah. that cybersecurity. <laughs> so, so are there the any other? Layer. Yeah, the last layer, your school culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's going to be the most effective and the least expensive. You know, um, and, and really, it starts with the building administrator. What are you doing to create a positive culture with your staff and your building? Because if you're an administrator and you're not paying attention to the culture in your building, you are creating an environment where bad things can happen. Um, you know, some, some people will say that bullying causes active threat events. And for me, if you have bullying going on in your school, and, and let me be very clear, teachers and administrators can be bullies too. We're not just talking about kids. But if you have a culture where bullying is allowed to happen, it's telling me you have a toxic culture in your school. And students and staff members will not feel engaged, will not feel that they belong, will not care what other people think about them 
because there's no relationship building in that school. And, you know, uh, I, I've been in law enforcement now longer than I was a teacher. And, um, you know, we have this weird culture where we only pick on the people we like. You know, that's that's kind of our culture. We tease each other. Um, but in a school, if you are being disrespectful to other staff members or to students, kids pick up on that right away. And teachers and administrators have to lead by example because, you know, I, I had a, so I'm, I'm talking to my students one day and I, I, was, I, I lost my patience with the student. And I said to him, like, Foster, sit down. And then I, I stopped and I said, Jeremy, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to call you by your last name. I was angry. That was wrong. I apologize. And one of the kids chimed up and said, you know, Mr. Davidson only calls us by our last name. And I said, I can't talk about his class. All I can talk about is my class. And in my class, I'm only going to call you by your first name. I'm going to call you Mr. or Miss. And you know that if I use the term Mr. or Miss, you're probably in trouble. But but that was part of that relationship. And my kids got that without me putting down that teacher. Because if I would have put down that teacher, I would have been a bully. Because they don't talk badly about other teachers. I'll just be a good example and for the yeah. students just through your own behaviors and your own actions. So the so the best practice really for schools that and the biggest challenge I think is is that most important piece that last layer is like you said, just establishing establishing that culture of safety and security. We all gotta learn how to tolerate each other, get along and make this a, a, a caring place. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a great way to talk. It's got to be a caring place, and um, that doesn't mean that you you let the students run wild. I mean, I was you know I was a I had a weird career. I started as a teacher, got a master's degree, and then went to the police academy. So Monday through Friday I taught, and in the on the weekends and in the summer I was a police officer. So you know. Yeah, my kids kind of thought I was strict, but they never thought I was unfair. You know, these are the rules. And if you break the rule on Monday and I say, don't do this again on Tuesday, I don't hold what, uh, you know, what you did on Monday against you. You know, and if you had a consequence, we moved forward from that spot. We didn't, it didn't always hang over your head. I mean, um, I'll never forget, I, at, the, at the beginning of the school year, I would, I would have the students take a um, survey. And one of the questions on the survey was, list any brothers or sisters that I have of yours. And, and a student would say, you know, you, oh, you, uh, your brother's Jeremy Foster. I remember Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy, I, I know he was a troublemaker in your class. And I'd say, no, he wasn't. I remember him as being a good guy. And even if he wasn't, I'm not going to treat you differently because of how your brother treated me. You know, it, it's all individual. And kids would appreciate that, that they were going to be treated on their own merits, on their behavior, not what family they came from. Or it was, hey, here's how you behave. And if you behave, everything's going to be great. So that's that culture that you create in your classroom. Are there yeah. any programs that you're aware of that could help school campuses, like character training programs that you that you see that work really well because there's so many out there social school uh, you know the, the 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 what is it the pbs or pbis, PBIS. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I mean, where it's, it's, you know, it's, um, and, and really for me, it's a, a lot of it is, is, is what I call good sense. Cause I don't believe in common sense, because if it was common, I wouldn't have to explain it to people, but good sense says, these are my rules and this is my progressive discipline. And if you follow these rules, then here's what happens. I get to teach and I love teaching. So if I tell you, hey, you need to get back in your seat, you're not allowed out of your seat without permission, and you say, well, I was just going to go sharpen my pencil. I was just, dude, all I'm asking you is to stay in your seat. I, I, I don't need to hear a reason. If you need to do something, raise your hand, I'll let you do it. But here's the rule. And then they'd raise their hand. I said, okay, go ahead and do it. And then we'd keep moving. And then pretty soon kids would realize, I kind of like this structure and order. I like knowing where I stand. I like knowing it doesn't matter who I am or who anybody is in the school. This is the same rule for everybody. And, and if I break the rule, nine times out of 10, my punishment is I have to hear Mr. Singer say, please don't do that again. That was my, that was my discipline. And if I said, okay, I won't do it again, then we moved on, you know, and, and it's just, you know, I, 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 sometimes I want to go back to my first year students and say, I apologize. I promise I got better. But, you know, that first year, you don't know anything. And when you learn what's important, and, and the lesson that I, I learned pretty quickly is kids feeling safe and comfortable in your room is going to determine how they learn, not what your bulletin board looks like or anything like that. What what kind of relationship you have with your kids so that they want to come and try to do their best. So that's that culture piece. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I had a kid one time say, I said to him, I said, John, I really do care about you. And he said, Mr. Sigris, you don't care about me. They pay you to care about me. And I said, I said to him, I said, John, I'm going to be honest. They don't pay me enough to care about you. If I don't do it on my own, it's not going to happen. But I care. And, and you know, how, how many times do kids not hear that? You know, they don't know that somebody cares about them. You know, when they're absent, hey, you were out yesterday. Is everything okay? You know, is everything fine? Were you saying, you know, just, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Going into some of the schools, I can tell right away. As soon as I enter the school, sometimes I'll see, like, big welcome sign. And it says right there and there. On behalf of the principals, the staff here, we care about you. If you need anything, you know, we're here for you. And I like to see that right away. There's either a bulletin board or something as soon as the kids walk in. And yeah. I can just see it throughout the school. Some of the schools are real, you know, stale. And then other ones, you can just see that that culture, what you're discussing and talking about, that it's, it's right there. And it starts right when you walk into school. Mm -hmm. with that front office staff being the face of the school and, and welcoming you and greeting you and, and being kind of respectful. I, I, look at the, I look at the floors during class changes. You know, is there a lot of trash on the floor or is are the floors, you know, because kids drop stuff all the time, you know, and, and if you're a teacher and you're in the hallway and, and you see a piece of trash on the floor and you just pick it up, you don't say anything, you just pick it up. Pretty soon what happens is kids see you picking up trash and then they start picking it up. And then you look at them and you say, hey, thank you very much. Here, give me that and I'll throw that away. And the next thing you know, your hallways are clean. You know, it, it's it's kind of like when, you, um, when you're when you a teacher at the end of your class and you say, hey, do me a favor, look on the floor. You see any paper or trash? Could you pick it up for me and throw it in the garbage can on the way out so the custodians don't have to pick it up? And, and the kids, don't, they don't have a problem with that. They, 
you know, and the custodians are happy because they don't have to, you know, it makes their job easier because they're just as important as everybody else in the school when it comes to that culture. So That's established in the classroom. When you look at layers, when you think about layers, you're thinking about like the perimeter layers. Yeah. And then when you get past the perimeter, you got the inside of the school building and then you got that meaningful relationship inside the classroom. And that's the cheapest, most effective thing that I'm, I'm getting from this. this and, and you know what? As a teacher, it's the funnest part. I mean, I, I, I was lucky. I taught eighth grade and I taught science. And, and when, my, when I started teaching eighth grade, my friends would say to me, oh, my God, don't you remember what we were like in eighth grade? I said, yeah, I do. That's why I'm here. You know, and I love my subject. I love teaching science. And, and you know, so when my kids came in and they, they learned that routine and they learned our structure and, you know, we just we had fun. You know, we 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 had fun because I didn't have to stop and say, don't do this, don't do that. I established our, our structure and order the first two weeks of school. And then we could just we could just have fun at school. I mean, if that's that sounds dumb, but we had fun at school because the kids were great kids. And I I taught in a building where like, I don't know, between 70 and 80 percent of the students were on free and reduced lunch. So I wasn't teaching in, you know, Beverly Hills. I was teaching in an area where there was a high poverty and a a lot of kids living in a single parent home and you know we just made that building a safe place for them to come and be we hope you enjoyed our conversation with gary sigrist i'd like to say thank you to gary for sharing his knowledge and insight with us in this second episode we discussed the last two layers of school safety hardware software and the importance of having a positive school climate, which is the least expensive, but considered one of the most effective layers of creating a safe and secure school. Thank you for listening and take care of yourself and each other.